Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. You're with Angela Priestley and I'm here today with my co-host Shivani Gopal. How are you Shivani? I am great Angela, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And a reminder that Shivani is the CEO of The Remarkable Woman and also the co-founder of Upstreet, which may all come into... May all be relevant to this current conversation, given your CEO hats that you wear. But on the agenda today, we are talking about the lack of female CEOs out there and what we can do about it. Thank you for listening. Okay, Shivani, so just a few things to put today's discussion in context. So we recently learnt that the lack of female CEOs across Australia's largest listed organisations is actually going backwards. In fact, you can actually count the number of women holding these positions on two hands. Just 10 entities across the ASX 200 are led by women. Just one of the 25 CEOs appointed to these positions in the last year was female and just two in the year before. And when it comes to the CEO feeder roles, positions that typically have profit and loss responsibilities, women make up just 12% of these positions across these organisations. And women in the C-suite leadership teams tend to be in support function roles, which don't lead to the CEO roles. So I just wanted to put that out there because that's recent research that was out there from Chief Executive Women. And I think it's... um, particularly depressing to hear that nothing is moving forwards on this. It's actually going backwards. And when when so few women are in these positions in the first place, it's also very easy for progress to go backwards. So, Shivani, what do you think is going on? It's 2020. I I was just thinking that too, Angela. It's it's 2020 and uh, here we are and we're still talking about, I mean, we always say that women have legal equality, right? It is illegal to pay women any less of course it's it's illegal to discriminate against women with when it comes to job hiring but it's 2020 and numbers don't lie and the numbers are telling us that um you know only um you know only you know there are only 10 ceos out of the a6 200 who are women um it it is just not good enough the the lack of executives uh, when it comes to you know, A6, 200 companies, you know, just 30 of them um, have over 40% of women. And it, and it just goes to show that when it comes to merit and how people always say, most of these big companies always say that they hire based on merit, the numbers show that they don't. Because as you just said, when it came, when, when last, last year there was only three CEO um, appointments that were done out of ASEX 200 companies that that were for women. Out of those three, only two were from Australia. One was from New Zealand, as you could rightfully point out in your introduction. There's only two Aussies there. So are we saying out of the whole country, there was only two meritorious women um, who who had the valid level of experience and skills to be CEO? And so the numbers tell you that's absolutely wrong. Um, and the meritocracy is a myth. And here we are in 2020. And we still have a staggering gap when it comes to women versus men in these key leadership positions. And what's even more worrying is the fact that, as you said very rightly, Angela, the pipeline that will get them there, the the CFO position, the COO position, those really powerful positions that not just have multi-dimensional when it comes to different departments and different headcounts reporting up to them, but also a pretty straight shot to the CEO position. Mm. Um, there's a huge gap there as well. So there is a lot, a lot of work to be done. 
Yes, there is. And all this is happening as well, which is of, again, some pretty serious concern uh, for these companies, I think, and their investors as well, that we shouldn't need to talk about a business case for gender diversity. I mean, it should be a given, like you say. Um, but we, we have actually been given a business case for gender diversity from the Workplace Gender Equality Agency, which finds their research that they put out in the last few months found that there is that it can really pay to put women into these positions. So they recorded um, in, in their research, they saw a massive 4.9% uh, increase in company market value for those ASX listed companies that achieved an increase of 10 percentage points or more in the share of women on their board. So that's on their board. That's obviously different to the C-suite. But um, then companies that increase their share of female key management personnel positions see a 6.6% increase, so even more there. And those that appoint a female CEO see a 5% increase in market value. So what about the companies that do all of the above? I say that's got to be pretty powerful. But but there, you know, you, we can – figures are there. It, it's so true. And the numbers really do speak for themselves yet again, right? And, and you're very right. We shouldn't need to have a business case for gender equality, period, in any area of society, whether it's, um, you know, in, in families, um, economically speaking, uh, politically speaking, or when it comes to corporate leadership or startups, of course, which is, uh, which is where I come from. Um, at the moment, but I, I think that you know these numbers are very powerful because a five percent increase on you know already very mature businesses are huge gains. Um, you don't get these kind of gains on such big uh, market capitalization companies. Um, and and I just want to unpack that for a little bit, right? Why is it that there are so many gains when there are women in decision making positions? Um, or, um, or they're in steering positions such as boards um, or when they're in positions where not only they're making decisions but they're in impacting culture as well. And the biggest one is the lack of groupthink that will happen when you have diversity, right? Because you are, uh, you are challenging biases. You do have different forms of thought. You have innovation. You have, you have greater levels of creativity. And you have... Um, you know, women are, are very, um, very well known for their, um, you know, their empathetic levels of leadership. Um, and I think Jacinda Ardern is a great example of this as well, where it yields so many incredible results. You can have a brute force approach um, or you can have a human first approach um, to things. And, and those things will often yield so many results because companies, whether you're serving a business or whether you're serving a customer, ultimately you're serving a customer. And so ultimately, when you cut through all of that, argy-bargy, when you cut through all of that, you know, corporate speak um, and you get to the heart of it, women are incredibly talented at doing so. I don't mean to, you know, to box us into anything. I mean, sure, there are, there are women who, who you know, um, who will probably perform very differently as well. Uh, but the groupthink um, changes that happen, you know, the, the, the fact that it takes away groupthink um, is a huge benefit just in itself. So in terms of what's going on, I mean, I know that you have – You'll have theories, I have theories. Um, some of my theories, I hope, are being somewhat dismantled by what we are currently experiencing in 2020. Um, you know, obviously we're seeing, I mean, something's happened. First of all, I will question if, you know, the typical CEO feeder roles, if that needs to change in terms of what we consider makes a good CEO. I think there, there are opportunities there. I mean, of course, there's opportunities to try and get more women into those CEO CEO feeder roles and that's a term that chief executive women use 
But there's also a uh, thing maybe we need to look beyond that and say, hey, let's look at the, you know, the let's go to HR or other support functions where uh, there are typically a lot of female leaders there and what's to say they can't lead organisations just like a chief financial officer can lead organisations. That's a great point, Angela. And I, I, can I just comment on that mm-hmm. quickly? And I hope you don't lose your train of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such a good point because you're right. The, the usual trajectory is COO or CFO straight to CEO position. Um, and I think that, you know, so many companies can look back in history and go, can we do better? And if we can do better, then we need to change because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Um, and and it's, it's as you said, right, changing the perception of what makes a great CEO. And we know that Gail Kelly was um, incredibly successful as the CEO of Westpac, you know, a big four bank. Um, and, and she took a real human first, culture, you know, first approach um, and, um, and was very widely regarded for her success. Um, but yet people still go through this, you know, this uh, linear and old fashioned approach um, to progression, which is why tackling norms is so important, which is why if we were to normalise female leadership, what the style of female leadership looks like and all the different realms and organisations in you know, different roles that they come from, um, then you are going to have more and more female leaders who come from you know, group executive marketing, group mm. executive um, of, of HR, so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. So an obvious theory was to... Um Look at the, and this is where I go to what was experiencing in 2020. I mean, I think we have to look at the, what, what happens in, I guess, a pipeline of, um, of women when it comes to getting to those C-suite positions. And we do know that um, women uh, do not necessarily drop out, but they might go to flexible positions or to part-time positions um, after if, if they do go and have kids, so often at a certain age and often that point can kind of coincide with the point that they're really going to push into that next level of leadership. So we know that that is a, a key point, a key issue that, that continues. And when I talk about mm. 2020, I go to the idea that a lot of us are now experiencing the benefits of working from home, of being able to work a little bit more flexibly, of even when we talk about returning to the office, of thinking about a hybrid mode of how we will return and evening the playing field in terms of who is putting in that literal FaceTime and who is kind of putting in more the virtual FaceTime. And even things like the the travel that is often involved in these positions, I mean, this year has proven that we just don't need to do that travel to this extent. I mean, it might be nice to do that travel, but we know that you don't need to. And we've seen that with boards as well. They're signing, they're doing their board papers and signing their board papers virtually. They're not travelling to Brisbane for board meetings anymore. We've proven that this is possible. So I want to believe that that can be a big game changer. I mean, I know that's a little bit naive to think that it's it, but that that's one little piece of it that I think that is a bit Without of a silver hope, lining. We're from all this doomed. Year. So I, I love that you <laughs> want to believe that. I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, you were saying? <laughs> no, you, I love that you want to believe that. So you might think differently. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I do. And, you know, I, I love that you that you hope that. And I, I equally hope that, right? Um, and. I used to have this saying, Angela, and it comes from banking. I I don't know if it's originated from banking, but I I picked it up in banking. It's very popularised in banking. And that is that what gets measured gets done, right? And and then you look at the numbers that, you know, chief executive women have been doing this um, census, Mm. uh, CEO census for the last four years. 
and um, and in their most recent census, you know, that's where we quoted the number from. On there's only ten female CEOs out of the A6 200 companies, and so, so the numbers actually gone down. And so they're literally doing what you know what banking is famous for. You measure it, it happens, right? You you set a target, you measure it, it happens. And so I I feel like I now need to change my own mantra. And it's not what gets measured gets done. It's what gets measured and incentivized or penalized gets mm, done. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, mm. and I think that money talk, targets mm-hmm. talk, quotas talk, the KPI system really, really does work. And um, and, and so I, I think that, look, you're, you're bang on when it comes to the fact that COVID-19, I mean, of course, it's had um, devastating impacts on people's health, mortality, businesses, the economy, you know, all of that stuff. Um, the silver lining out of, um, if I could call it that, and I feel so insensitive mm-hmm. saying that, so mm-hmm. I, I don't quite have the words for this, but I do hope you understand my sentiment here, um, is that it has brought forward um, the future of work by decades um, in terms of the progress that we were on track of making previously when it comes to accepting flexible work and taking away the stigma when it comes to flexible work and showing that it can be done and that it's incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. Now, what you want to have happen um, off the back of this is that women and men are both given the equal opportunity for flexible work because the secret to getting more women up the top isn't isn't just getting um, you know the stigma away from flexible work for women so that they can not just work flexibly if they want to but also still be promoted and, and still um, be seen for all their capabilities because of course flexibility doesn't mean inability mm. right mm. but what you also want to do is you want to enable um, enable rather um, mm. you want to enable men to get flexible work options because the more and more men you have in flexible work options the more opening and space that is created in industries for women to also rise just depending on different areas of their of their uh, career and trajectory and where they're at and so we need both of those things to happen now how do you make that happen again I'm now reneging on my mantra and it's it's uh, it's not what gets measured it's what gets measured and incentivized or penalized and and this is really important because most big companies, especially ASX 200 companies, you can tell I get passionate because mm-hmm. I start to talk really, really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll head back to it. Um, you know, with ASX 200 companies and all big companies, they've got these beautiful policies, right? I mean, you start work with them, you're going to be given this beautiful induction and you're going to mm. be given all these great e-trains. They've got their stuff lined out to a T. And out of any one of those inductions and e-trainings they're going to make you do, they're going to talk about flexible workplace options and all their HR policies and all their wonderful hotels that you get discounts at because you're you're a member of you know their organization and all that sort of stuff right mm-hmm. none of which is ever really executed none of which is ever really promoted and there is still always stigma and there's stigma by the way of lack of practice there's stigma by the way of um, lack of leadership in action from a senior level and there's stigma structurally because what ends up happening and remember i come from you know the the, the corporate side of things i've lived and breathed this right and mm-hmm. i come from senior management here and I know that what happens with the flexible workplace applications is you got to go through your boss and then your boss's boss then it goes to HR. If it's all about just policy and ability to do your job, then why shouldn't it go straight to HR? Why don't you remove some of that hierarchy and some of that stigma accordingly? And so I think that in order to bring about the change and cement what COVID-19 has sort of created for us in a bit of normalization here before we get to 2021 and hopefully we get a, a, a vaccine and, you know, in many ways the world goes back to normal. We need the incentivization and penalization um, around those focus areas so that we can get flexible workplace, um, you know, options to really thrive and survive and occur. 
Um, and then there's all the other stuff that needs to happen, like leadership pipelines of women so that you get them throughout all, all levels of organisation. Mm-hmm. There's my rant. No, it's a good one. So, and it leads me to, I mean, it's a very good way to lead me to the fact that I've got an, an interview here and I want to just play a little bit from that interview from, uh, I spoke to uh, Debbie Blakey, the CEO of Hester yesterday, and we spoke as they were announcing this uh, huge initiative to push companies in the ASX 200 to fill at least 40% of their executive positions with women by 2030. It's an investor-led initiative and it's called the 40-40 vision. So 40% female, 40% male, 20% um, do as you please, I guess, um, is backed by it's, – it's backed by Aberdeen, Standard Investments, by BlackRock Australia, by Elston, by Fidelity International, by um, a number of other investors there and they're fund managers that are responsible for over – one trillion dollars in assets so i'll just play a little snippet from that interview now i think first of all if it's not us as the investors of these companies who's going to drive this change then who is it yeah and if we look at recent research so for example the chief executive women's census progress on this has been woeful yeah so we really believe that we have a responsibility as an investor to drive change in the space in terms of the timing of, of why now, well, I, I think, first of all, if not now in 2020, as we head into another decade, then when? Do we have to wait another decade? Do we have to wait another half century? So we really believe that now is the time to deal with it and make sure we take a stand and we're not leaving this for future generations to deal with. Mm. But maybe to just also add a, a little bit about COVID. I think COVID is an amazing catalyst in terms of turning our minds to the important issues. And 2020 is going to be remembered as a unique year, that that year of crisis, a year of huge loss of lives, of livelihoods, enormous pressure on families, communities, etc. But really, it's a time for us to think about the future and the future we want to invest in. So so as an investor like Hester, we are thinking about the future companies that will thrive. Mm. And we feel now is the time in terms of achieving gender balance to put this very strongly on the agenda because there's an opportunity for companies as we reinvest into the future to be very ambitious in terms of the organizations they will be. And we believe that gender balance sets them up to be those thriving organisations. Okay, Shivani, so we heard Debbie talk uh, more about their their reasoning for doing this and their reasoning particularly for doing this right now. And she mentioned that, you know, COVID has been a catalyst for for turning our minds to important issues and that 2020 will will sit out as this unique year. It's a a year of, of crisis, she said, of loss, of lost livelihoods, of communities, but it's really been a year for us to think about the future and the kind of future that we want and the kind of future that's going to enable companies to thrive in. So it goes back, I think, a lot to what we're talking about at the beginning of the conversation and to the stats and data we have that show that, you know, show again the business case for for gender diversity in these organisations. And as she said, there really is an opportunity for companies to be ambitious. So do you think 
this will work, Shivani. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, it's back to what gets done gets measured. But I guess in this case, what gets incentivized and in this case incentivized by investors with a lot of power. And one other little thing that I just read earlier, which I think is huge, it's that two-thirds of the ASX 200 will be owned by superannuation companies in the next 20 years. And I just think that is such an incredible figure to think about because, you know, most of us have some kind, you know, some kind of super, some of us have a little, some of us have a lot. Um, most, many of us will never have much of an option to invest in these kinds of companies independently from our superannuation. But pulled together, it is really, really powerful to drive some of these changes and not just changes on things like diversity, but changes also on you know, climate change. And, and that's another thing that Hester is deeply involved in too. And a number of um, superannuation funds are, are pushing on as well. So yes, Shivani, do you think it will work? Look, I, I'm very hopeful that it would work. And this is a good model, right? Because as you said, so much of the ASX 200 is going to be owned by, by our superannuation funds and money truly does talk. Um, and, and it has a weight to it. Now, if you've got investors who are backing this, then they have the might, the power, and of course, the money behind them to to really create change. So this isn't just about measurement. This, in a way, is it, it's almost taking that penalisation approach because from from what I see, I mean, you know, hats off to Hester. I love that they're doing this, um, but it's also what I love about it is that the investors are not only sort of backing it, but they're saying we're going to keep every company that signs up, we're going to keep them accountable. Now, what I don't know yet is how that accountability metric is, is going to work, what that functionality looks like. But I, I would say that if they just took the good old simple, you know, carrot and stick approach to this, it's going to work really, really well. Because as humans, we're really simple, right? We, uh, we respond to motivation or penalization in any case. Um, and so when they, when they do this accountability metric, what is the penalty going to be if you miss um, your, um, you know, what it is that you said you were going to do? And do you have a time frame in which you can make that up? Um, and if you do make those gains, then does it mean that, um, you know, you receive some kind of, you know, additional press release? Do you get, you know, women, of, uh, women, um, you know, women workplace um, preferential awards and things like that? I think those sorts of things are going to be really important. So what I can say thus far, Ange, is that the bones are there. And I think that I'm really encouraged by this. I really am. And I, um, and I think that with the right kind of pressure, yep, we can get there. Mm. It's, it's a good model. Yes. And it's also at a point of, you know, where else do we go? So <laughs> that's we, we, we've got to start somewhere. Do you think this model could work for uh, getting more diversity generally into these C-suite positions? So we're moving away from just gender diversity? Not just yet, no. Um, but the, again, look, the, the bones are there. It's in the measurements, right? So um, it's a little bit like you were saying earlier, Angela, around, you know, you, you were reading this in review around the top 10 most powerful people. Um, and you said that they were all white. We still have a long way to go when it comes to um, ethnicity, diversity, um, you know, and, um, and LGBTQI diversity when it comes to leadership and the normalization of that. Um, I know that when I was growing, um, you know, growing up in my career in corporate Australia, I, I very, very, very rarely saw a brown woman um, in a leadership position. And so my version of success looked like a white woman's version of success. Um, and of course, please don't get me wrong, I'm a patriotic Australian and I love all my 
girlfriends, regardless of, um, of their ethnicity. But it is important that we band together and we promote diversity. Because when we look at the number of um, diverse leaders um, across these large organisations, you're going to find there's less than 10%. So not only are there um, you know, lack of women, but there are lack of diverse women. And, um, and in this way, privilege is also very nuanced, right? Um, you know, women and, um, women and men from a, you know, from a percentage perspective, of course, we're equal. But from a power perspective, women have less power and so therefore are less privileged than men. Um, and then similarly, uh, when you look at, you know, ethnicities as well, those from a different ethnic background um, will have less power and therefore less privilege and therefore more biases against them. So, again, how do you dismantle that? Again, you need to have initiatives like this. Um, and so I would, I would love to unpack again that 40% women and that 40% men and, of course, 20% other gender. Is there going to be some metric around the accountability of that and, and, uh, and, and having a look at, you know, what different, um, you know, ethnic groups do these people come from and how do they create pipelines to nurture the talent up the chain in order to make that happen? If those metrics and that functionality isn't there, then yes, you'll get gender diversity, but you won't get diversity of ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Shivani. We have covered a lot and we went well over the uh, 10 minutes that we thought we were going to go with. So. <laughs> I feel like we have such passionate discussions, Angela, that it's really hard for us to, to go for 10 minutes, but I certainly hope our audience enjoyed the conversation along the way. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. If this episode did raise any issues for you or if you or someone you know needs any assistance, I just wanted to share some key helplines for you. The first one being Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. The next one is Lifeline on 13 11 14. And another one is Kids Helpline on 1800 551 800. You can also check out all of their websites. Now, a reminder once again that the stories that we do cover on Women's Agenda you can find in some form on our website where you can also go and subscribe to our daily free newsletter that comes out just before lunchtime. The Women's Agenda podcast is produced by Agenda Media and you can also go and check out our new and second podcast called The Leadership Lessons. It's hosted by Kate Mills and it goes into some really deep and interesting territory examining how to lead for the critical decade ahead by speaking with uh, key female leaders. Go and check it out. Thank you for listening.